1077 The Franchise is your flagship for Oklahoma sports. This is Inside OU with... You hear the, the rooms here in Memorial Stadium. On the Franchise Podcast Network. What's up, everybody, for the third time, for the third take. This is the Inside OU Podcast. This is Brady Trantham. No John Hoover today, but like we teased on Friday, we do have a very special edition to the podcast that I know OU fans are going to love. Um, I'm certainly excited about it. Uh, You know him from the franchise, of course. He's on Locker Room Unfiltered Thursdays from noon to one, from noon to two. Sometimes it lasts a little longer, uh, and Jerry Ramsey will complain about it, of course, because that's what Jerry does. He complains about everything. But without further ado, I'd like to announce or introduce the guy that you all know and love, Mr. Rufus Alexander. What's up? The 2006 Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. What's going on, man? I'm excited to do this. It's going to be very fun. Uh, I've been wanting to do a podcast and be a part of one, so this is going to be fun. Yeah, um, I thought you know we're going to talk about OU football. So we like obviously um, the thought was always hopefully there's a former player out there that wants to lend their voice because um, we can sit here, you know, me being an OU fan, John Hoover being a journal like a legitimate journalist and really good at that who analyzes OU football. But the athlete's voice, the former athlete's voice, is always appreciated. And uh, that in-depth analysis, I think, is, you know, absolutely valuable. So I thought, let's just talk about soccer. (laughs) Let's, uh, yeah, let's get Rufus on and talk about soccer. No, 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 no. We all want to know, Rufus, about the defense. And obviously, you're plugged into the program. Obviously, um, you've been um, into these first five or six practices during fall camp. And you get to see things that a lot of us don't get to see. And, of course, you'll uh, share what you can share on the radio but, you know, the question on everybody's mind is, can OU's defense improve? Can Alex Grinch really move the needle on this improvement of this defense? And how much is, like, how high is that ceiling? Is it, Are we talking about just being from abhorrent from last year to average? Or can OU fans, like, be optimistic about this defense moving forward? Yeah, I think they can be optimistic. I think one thing that you'll see is that, Grinch will not lie to you. I mean, he'll, he won't make any excuses about where they are and what they're doing. Uh, he coaches them really hard. Um, they compete on all levels. As he, um, I mean, I've been to practice and I've watched these guys compete on the back end, on the front end, on the defensive line. So that's a really big difference on how it was last year. You know, you would kind of give them a pass and be like, oh, okay, okay, I know you got it. Okay, but I mean, now it's just the intensity is really high. I mean, and then you got a new guy coming in and seeing where you were at last year. I mean, you're 129, I think, in I think past defense. I think you were 115, 116 in total defense or whatever, however, whatever the number was, but it wasn't very good. So your approach whenever you come in is can be more about – you, I'm going to kick ass and I'm going to tell everybody what the hell they're not doing and I can be as tough as I can on him. It's not like he's coming into a top situation. So, And his approach is not handling it with, with kid gloves. I mean, he's coming in there and he is telling them, hey, this is unacceptable. Um, he's holding them all accountable. He's making the defense easier um, so they can play fast and get in gaps and, and see what's coming and diagnose plays. I mean, he's not – football is – you can't reinvent the wheel of football. You can't scheme your way – uh, as far as every play, I mean, you may have a few schemes that fits offenses and stuff, but still, at the end of the day, if it's not simple for the kids to diagnose and read the plays and understand what's coming at them, it doesn't matter what kind of scheme you put out there if they're thinking the whole entire time. And I think that's this whole 
premise around this speed D. Um, and, and that's the, the, the thing behind it. The, the, the bottom line about the speed D is they understand what's coming. So it allows them to play fast. This happens and I do this, this happens and I do that. So, um, those are the ways, um, we played whenever I, whenever I played and I hate to say that back in my day, but, um, that's how coach Venables also coached. Um, he, he wasn't, he was really detailing his X's and O's and where you needed to be, but, I mean, we had maybe four or five defenses up a game. And, um, I mean, if we had seven, it was for a specific formation. And whenever they did something, we checked us up. And it's all about understanding where you have to go and what you need to do. And that that allowed us to play fast back then. And that's the similarities I see in the defense they have now. Yeah, and you know, I kind of wanted to touch on something that you, you just mentioned because I feel like OU fans have heard – you know, stuff like this before. Um, for instance, when Brent Venables ultimately left to go to Clemson, Mike Stoops came back in for a second stint at Oklahoma. You heard things, whether it was in the media or just whispers around the program about how the guys of the last few years, they were thinking too hard. They, they, they were out there not playing and using their athleticism. They were worried about, am I in the right spot before they could actually use their talent? And of course, Mike, had some success early on. You know, everybody will talk about 2015 being probably the last time OU had a pretty competent defense. And even then, if you go back and watch those games, there were still a lot of holes that reared their ugly head. They just kind of had some very talented players on that specific defense. But now you get from Mike Stoops to Alex Grinch. And I feel like that that message, you know, the thought, you know, they're not thinking as much. They're out there playing. Um, I feel like that that holds a little bit more water now, but I really can't explain why. And maybe it's just because while Venables to Mike was a different, it was a different coach. It was still the, the same relative message. You know, Bob Soups was the head coach, so he was the, the common guy in the room. Now that Lincoln Riley is the new guy in the room, Alex Grinch is a new guy outside of the program. I feel like that the whole, um, they're out there playing and not thinking as much. I feel like that holds more water, but I just can't explain why. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it holds more water now um, because, I mean, you coming off with a fresh idea and you saw it in the red and white game. You know, guys were out there. They were playing really fast. They were playing. They were getting in gaps and stuff. And the thing about it, what, what I really love about the defense now that I've seen is they're no longer standing in front of a guy and getting pushed. Um, they're getting the gaps and trying to play two yards on the other side of the line of scrimmage, and that's their big plan. Um, you know, penetrate, penetrate in gaps, move side to side, you know, and, and give these guys an opportunity to get in the backfield and, and penetrate and, and wreak havoc. And, and that's what and that's what that's the thing that you I like about defenses that's more in gaps and or get up the field in gaps or whatever. Unless you have some man of a nose tackle that can take a center and put him two or three yards back and have two grown men of defensive ends that can take a tackle and take a three hundred pound guy every play and push him back in the backfield. We didn't have that. We still don't have that right now. And so the thing that kind of hurts your defense last year, you can only rush from one side. That's been the Achilles heel of OU's defense. I mean, you don't get sacks from the left side if Oboe's on this side. Yeah, you can scheme against it easier if you're offense. Yeah, it's so much easier to scheme against. It's so much easier to play against. And I think now I think they're more balanced in the way they do it. I think you have guys like Ronnie Perkins, who's a year older, who's going to be really good. Um, this scheme really fits him because he's such a quick first step guy and a move in and out guy. He does really well for Neville Gallimore. He doesn't have to take on 600 pounds the entire game, um, by standing in front of a guy. Also, he's very, he, he slimmed down and very, is very quick and light on his feet. Um, you also look at Isaiah Thomas is another guy that's playing on, well on the front end as well in the defensive line that'll get in for some rotational plays also. So, 
Um, I think it holds weight now because they changing the philosophy up front. And then on the back end, they're telling those guys to be aggressive, play hard, be aggressive, um, use your technique. And, and they're, they're really, you know, making it easy enough and making it more about your technique than it is about being about your scheme. And I think Mike fell into the whole scheme kind of thing for a while. He was hard-headed and stubborn. I always thought that Mike was going to go back to a 4-3 type of defense, and he kind of stayed He stayed in that, that three, it was three too, down line. It was too inconsistent. You know, you can even go back on the offensive end of the ball with Josh Heupel where there were there – were, I would go into games thinking, I have no idea what OU's identity is. I don't know if they're going to pass heavy. I don't know if they're going to run heavy. I know what they probably should do with the quarterbacks they have, with the, with the personnel they have. Um, but it got to a point, I mean, I agree with Mike, I don't know. Like, I don't know if they're going to be aggressive. Like, if, even if you want to talk about generalized terms, I don't know if they're going to be conservative or, or aggressive. I know what they should be. Yeah, I, and that's, a, that's another thing I saw with Mike as well is that you go into – there was so multiple as far as defense goes. And you being multiple was one of those things they wanted to do to kind of counter counter the – spread wide open offenses that were going really fast and you don't want big guys on the field I guess and they're going they're playing so sideways so you want to read and react type stuff um and being multiple I mean there was a jack of a lot of trades but a master at none uh so there was I mean they had a lot of different defensive fronts they can get in but they ma- they were ma- they were masters of none of those and so you'll get the confusion on the back end or you would get the guy that would hold the ball for the the quarterback that would hold the ball for about 10 seconds to find a guy way downfield. You can't expect a cornerback to hold the line that long on the back end. So the, uh, uh, any good quarterback is going to find that guy <laughs> to throw the ball to. So I, I think, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I think his approach is way different. If you look at what he's done at Washington State, the same thing he did at Ohio State, and he's going to bring the same thing here. He has an identity of what he wants to do, and I think that's what he's going to do. He was able to be creative at Washington State, and he saw something that he liked. And if he has the most talented offense defensive line, he's going to be fine. If he has the middle-of-the-road talent defensive line, he's going to be fine. And if he has not-so-talented defensive line, he's going to be fine as long as these kids work hard and believe in what they're doing. Yeah, and I, I don't want to linger too much on the old regime uh, because obviously we're a few weeks from the Houston game. We're all wanting to move forward, but I'm just curious um, to get your thoughts on this as a foundation so we can move forward. But, I mean, is there something to be said that, like with Mike and, and those defenses, that there was a philosophy of, I don't want to get, I don't want to get made a fool of. I don't want to get... I don't want it to make it seem like I'm being outcoached because I, I put out an aggressive scheme and then they beat us over the top. Because I, I would assume if I'm a defensive coordinator with an offense led by Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, I would feel like generally I could be more aggressive than say if I had a more pedestrian offense because, okay, I'm going to be aggressive. If they beat us over the top for an 80-yard touchdown play, that happens. This is the Big 12. Guess what? Go out there and stop Kyler Murray. Good luck. And it just felt like time and time again that they were just more resigned to, we're going to give you all the momentum-building plays. We're going to build this third-string quarterback's confidence to a point where he plays above his head because he's completing all these first-down plays. He's completing all these dink-and-dunk passes. And then before you know it, they're in the red zone. Before you know it, they score. It just seemed like that they were more resigned to let stuff come to them and not let their players be aggressive. Yeah, and I think what the big difference was also, I mean, you know, you change Mike's position uh, from going to def- defensive backs to pl- to doing outside linebackers and stuff like that. And it's you would 
I don't I don't know I don't think that fit him. It didn't fit him at all in his in the defensive. Not at the, that he, not in that point in his career. Not at that no. point in his career. I mean, he's always been a secondary guy. He's always coaching the secondary. And then you go in and then you need to rebuild this defense and in a passing league, you want I want that guy to be back there. I don't care whose feelings that he hurts on the back end and that's where it got to be. It's like he was hurting guys' feelings so guys didn't want to play for him. So they had to put him up in the in the booth and change who he coaches. And then you have him coaching you have him coaching outside linebackers. And I don't think they were the detail that you, that goes into playing linebacker was not something that was Mike's strong suit strong suit. And the the lineback the the DBs on the back end a lot of times you saw they didn't play with great technique. A lot of people would always say, "Hey, you need to find the ball. We don't find the ball for anything." Or, "What's going? Why That's we my get, next question? <laughs> why are we getting beat with deep throws all the time? Why is there not a safety over the top? Why is the guy at seven yards and he comes up and the guy runs right by him? How do you get beat when then you're in cover three? Just so many simple, like little small things like that that was technical wise that. Oh, that make you scratch your head. It was a lot of times I would scratch my head. I would go home and be like, man, I just really don't know what to say or how to understand guys playing with bad technique. You're in cover two and you're getting beat on an out route in cover two. That should never, ever happen. You're in cover three. You're getting beat deep. And that should never, ever happen. You, you're back in a third and that's the only guy going deep. How in the hell is that happening? So it was a lot of things like that that was just always continuously made you scratch your head when it came to last year. And I think this year is going to be so much different because of who's coaching on the back end. And he's always been a secondary coach, uh, Coach Grinch has. And then you got Coach Manning, who's a guy that, I mean, he coaches his butt off. And, I mean, he those guys are competing all, all the time. And if he can get Parnell Motley to compete every game, I think you'll be fine. I've, I've seen him in practice where he's gone and he's gone up and played plays and turned around and played the ball out of the air. And it's like, holy crap. That's different. Yeah, like I said it on the first episode specifically about Parnell Motley. Um, he's had his he's had his bad games. He's had some very bad looks. But I'll say this until he's done playing at OU. Um, if you're going to have a, an average defense, I want Parnell Motley to be a part of it just because he has the mentality that you need. He doesn't let someone gets blows right by him. He comes back and competes on the next drive. There have been defensive backs at the University of Oklahoma over the last few years that I can't say that about. And if you're going to give up big plays, which is going to happen in this league, especially last year with the talent that was in the Big 12, um, it, it's going to happen. And the whole point, and this kind of gets to the my next question, Rufus, um, it's something that I talked about on the first episode as well, is the inevitability that these guys are going to make mistakes. And I think last year, maybe that was partly on the fans, the media, or whatever, but we really built up FAU to be like some offensive power. The previous year, they were really good. We all know what Lane Kiffin brings to the table. Chris Robinson, former OU quarterback, that was kind of an unknown cool factor. Who knows what could have happened? OU goes out there and dominates you know, offense, defense, special teams. They blocked a punt, return it for a touchdown. Everything looks cool. They play UCLA. It's a name program. But as we saw the rest of that year, they were not good. The defense, Kenneth Murray was swarming around the football that game. Then we get to Army. And then the defense that we saw the rest of the year reared its ugly head. And my question is, is Alex Grinch, is anybody with the talent um, on OU's defense right now, is anybody going to be able to communicate to these guys that you're going to make mistakes? It's what you do after that, as long as it doesn't, continue to steamroll on itself you you have to just gotta let those things go you're gonna like Jalen Hurts 
Spencer Rattler, whoever it is, is going to go out there and score us a touchdown, go out there and make a play on the next drive. And I'm just curious if Grinch is that guy that can communicate that to these players. I think one of the things would go back to the Army game. I think Army game was a mental gut punch. I mean, it didn't that day technically beat OU or anything like that. They physically and mentally beat them. I mean, those guys were more physical than they were. They were more mentally tough than they were. And they continued to work the ball down the field. If they don't pass the ball towards the end, which I think they did to, and helped us out, and they continue to run their offense, I mean, I think they work it down the field and yeah, get it. There's no track. reason to believe that they wouldn't have won if they just kept running. They, yeah. they, they kept running the ball. And it, you just saw it in the trenches where, oh, you just did not have it in the trenches to stop Army from doing what they were doing. I mean, you can go back and watch that tape and you can see it was more, it was a lot of man on man. A man has to beat another man to make something happen. And they couldn't get those plays. They didn't have that special player that would be, that would allow a person to whoop a person. And and therefore that game is why I think the rest of the year you saw other teams challenge them, man, like up up front a little bit more. And, And I mean, after you watch that type of game, you're like, oh, yeah, we'll challenge them a little bit more. You saw Texas. They challenged them up front and moved them and pushed them off the ball. That's why you saw what happened in Texas happen in Texas because they moved OU on the ball. I think they got a little bit better as it went on uh, up front. But Neville Gallimore had nicks and bruises all throughout the year. Kenneth Mann had nicks and bruises throughout the year. I think after the Army game, everybody's pretty much was – I think I did. Was beat <laughs> to hell by the end of it. So you go into that. And then you go, and then now you go into to this year, right? And do they? Have, you're saying like, do they have the? T- if there's going to be anybody that's going to be able to do that to them this year, and can they do it? One thing you lo- you learn about football is, if you simplify, you know who's making the mistakes. And what was the cool thing about foot? What I love about football is being able to one understand what somebody's trying to do to me. Go out there, execute a defense. If something big, if a big play happens, knowing who to correct and why they did what they did. And if the players are on as at that level, if something bad happens in a game and a player can come to you and voice and you can voice what what you see and he can voice what he sees, you can correct the you can correct the situation or mistake faster than you can if a player comes to the side and be like, Man, coach, I don't know what happened. That's that's not a good feeling. That's not a good feeling for a coach. It's not a good feeling for a player. And when you played in that Army game, I mean, they come to the sideline. It's like, I mean, Coach, man, he's just getting lower than I am. Coach, he's just blowing me off the ball. Man, I didn't, I didn't know what happened right there. Man, I lost the ball. I don't know what – like, whenever a player comes and says that, and you're like, well, you got to get – I mean, you say you got a submarine down there, and just no matter how low you get, they're tougher and moving you out of the way. And you don't have an answer for it. That's discouraging for a player, and that's when a player kind of lose faith a little bit. But whenever you can come – from the game and see something bad happen and you can come to the sideline as a unit and they can tell you, well, coach, this happened, he did this, and the coach can come and reevaluate what's going on. And then you can adjust from it. That'll 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 tell you where OU's at when a mistake happens and if they can correct it the next time they come out. Yeah, and that's kind of a good segue into another thing that John and I, um, John Hoover, excuse me, um, disagreed with on the last podcast. Um I would think with a new regime on defense with Alex Grinch, um, basically a guy, a guy who didn't recruit anybody that's currently going to start on this defense. He doesn't have those built-in relationships going back to when they were 17-year-old kids in high school till now. 
you would think that the guys that have been starters that have played a lot of games for OU, they would have a little bit more of an onus to, I can't screw up because I don't have that built-in relationship with Alex. He he has, you know, if I screw up and have a bad game, for all I know, he could just say, I have no loyalty to you. You're like, you're sitting down. John had the thought though that he, he interpreted last year as how, that's how Mike would deal with things. He would basically, and John was actually kind of right now that I think about it, Mike would play musical chairs with his defense. He would have a, a combination of guys out there for one game, and then they have a bad showing, and then somebody gets flipped around. Somebody's playing in this position now. Somebody is coming, is attacking in a different spot. There was no consistency. And I'm just I'm just curious because you didn't necessarily have to go through a lot of that as a player. You know, you had Brent Venables. There was consistency throughout, but just generally as a football player, I mean, what side of that coin does Alex Grinch lie in? Does he not have any built-in loyalties at some of these older guys and he's more willing to take a chance on younger guys? Or is he probably willing to stay the ship for the sake of consistency? Because if, like you said, if you identify the mistakes and you're able to correct them in the, in the spot, you're going to get better for it, you know, as a whole moving forward down the road. Um, I think, uh, you kind of, it's a happy, you got to have a balance in it. Um, you're teaching guys all the same things. And the guy that succeeds at doing that same drill or that same defense over and over and over again, and he's consistent in what he does, I'm going to stick with that guy because he's more consistent. If the guy behind him is continues to continue to push him, but he's just not ready yet physically or something, you may have to pull him out a little bit or pull him in a little bit early if that other guy messes up. Um, I think you'll a lot of what, um, what they're doing now is, it's all the same. So guys that are behind them, they're doing the same thing the other guys doing, and they're pushing each other. And when you mixing up groups on the defensive line, I think you kind of know where you're at and what you need to do. And and it's on you to kind of own a position or a spot or be dominant in what you do, you know. And and, and you know, fix your problems, what you do wrong, and all that stuff. And I think his thing is going to lie more in your consistency. I mean, um, I don't think as a player. Uh, I don't think as a coach you can tell a player, well, I'm going to stick with you because, you know, you're an older guy. Um, it's on you. You want the position, you take the position, you own the position. But if you're going to play bad and terrible, I'm not going to keep you in there because you've just been there long enough. Yeah, there are blatant examples of, like, uh, the OSU game in 2017. Like, the the cornerbacks, they were having bad days. Yeah. You just, you've got to pull the trigger at some point. but. I, like I think it happened with um I think it happened with Parnell Motley one time whenever they put um I think they put Trey Brown in for him in an OSU game. Yeah, uh, yeah. Both, both Trey Brown, Brown and Norwood and played Norwood the fourth played, quarter. Played in the fourth quarter and they took out uh, Thomas and uh, Parnell Motley and they had they played better than the other two guys played. Um, I think they went back to the older guys a little bit later. I think they went back to Parnell Motley again a little bit I, later. Yeah, I, I think the next game was TCU and Jordan Thomas didn't play. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they didn't play. So, I mean, you look at that and you're like, if my younger guys are going to play like that and my older guys are going to do that, I'm done with the older guys. I'm going to move on to my young guys. And I, um, whenever and it happened whenever I played as well. Remember who was I think it was Eric Bassey that kept on giving up touchdowns. Play action. Yeah, play Hold action it. touchdowns and stuff when he was playing corner. And they pulled him and they put Marcus Walker in and he started at corner. He was a true freshman. They burned his true freshman his true freshman year. They burned his red shirt at college station. It was A&M and then two games later he's playing in the Orange Bowl. <laughs> right. So he played the rest of the time and that's the move they made. At some point you got to learn how to start making 
those kind of moves. Um, and I think Grinch is not going to be scared to pull the trigger because, like you said, he doesn't hold any loyalty. And I don't think he and, and I don't think it's about loyalty or holding loyalty to anyone. I think it's more about you being responsible for your position and playing the way you're supposed to play, playing with technique. You get you can get beat by you're going to play against talented wide receivers. You'll get beat on a jump ball, 50 50 ball or whatever, but not seeing a guy come into the flat and coming down and playing where you're supposed to play. That's something that's more in your control and you're not playing your, your technique properly. Or you let a guy go on a coverage that was supposed to switch because you didn't you didn't notice what was happening schematically. Or if you let a, a go route go, when we know when they get in this formation, he's more he's 90 percent, 90 percent of the time he's going to run a go route. I mean, so if you keep allowing those things to happen, I have to pull you out and go with somebody else because mentally you're not checked in mentally you're not doing what you're supposed to do and football is so much of a mental game and pre-snap read and pre-snap alignment everything before the snap of the ball happens and noticing what's coming to you happens at the begin before the ball is even snapped before the play is even 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 started yeah and I, like you know we're talking about the secondary mainly for the last 20 minutes but you know rufus you're a linebacker you linebacker like OU used to be, you know, there was a time where OU had a serious calling for being linebacker. You, you very much a part of that tradition. One of the best linebackers to ever suit up for the university of Oklahoma. But with Kenneth Murray going into his third year and with the roller coaster career that he's had, he's been, he's had games where he's frankly, I remember the Ohio state game, which was his second game as a starter. I remember going into that game thinking, Urban Meyer is going to pick on this this freshman, and OU is going to die over the middle. We've seen it every time. 2008 against Texas, Brandon Crow. It's probably like the, the most blatant oh example of that. Oh, my gosh. That game was so bad. Whenever, <laughs> yeah. whenever Ryan Reynolds went down, I was like, uh-oh. I knew Brent Venables was over there pulling his hair out, cussing this kid out in his head on the sideline. He probably cussed him out when he went home. He watched film again and cussed him out. Oh, dude, I'm the Brian rem- Crow had the worst game I've ever seen of a linebacker in one game. Bless his heart. I remember my dad just like, – Jordan Shipley would just go wide open for 15-yard gains on third down, and my dad would just put his head in his hands like, please come back, Ryan Reynolds. He was gone. And he was towards ACL. Quick trivia question. Do you know who started at linebacker the next game against Kansas? Do you remember middle linebacker? Oh, this is so it was Travis Lewis. Who did they put in? He didn't finish the year as a middle linebacker, I'll just say. Was it Ward? No, no, no he wasn't, wasn't there Ward. yet. Dang, who was it? Was it, was it Box? It was Nick Harris. Nick Harris. Oh, they, yes, they, they moved him move down to middle linebacker, and Kansas just – I mean, Nick is a great athlete, and he, he did as well as you could. Oh, I forgot about that. Nick Harris went to linebacker, and he <laughs> – look, I can tell you one thing about Nick Harris. He was not the toughest guy ever. He was not He was not the toughest tackler, to say that. I, I, I understand where you're going, coming he, from. I mean, he would tackle at your shoelaces every time. Even, But he went into the league and played linebacker at Buffalo. Yeah, kinda, that's the. But you know, he was a big kid. I mean, he was a safety that was what six two, six three, two hundred forty pounds, two hundred thirty pounds. So he was a big kid. So you figure, well, I'm gonna move him down in the linebacker and well, go ahead and roll roll with that. Yeah, uh, Balligan, Mike Balligan, I think finished out finished that year. the year. Yeah, and then Florida State tattled on him. Um, but no, Mike like Balligan. <laughs> but no, with um, I'll just ask you a simple question. Kenneth Murray, whether or not he has a great year or an average year or a bad year, he does not 
I mean, we can say the cliche that middle linebacker is the quarterback of the defense, but a, the defense is so such a unit. Like the secondary is only good because the defensive line puts pressure on the quarterback. You know, it, it's it's synergy. But you know, Kenneth Murray, he's going to be a guy that people, fans, media, they're going to point to if the defense doesn't get pressure, if the defense can't tackle. They're always like Kenneth Murray is the easy scapegoat. So I'm just like, as a former linebacker, how does Kenneth Murray have a successful year? And what whether that success is Buckus nomination or just all Big 12, all these preseason award watch lists that he's on, like how does he have a successful year at linebacker? I mean, how does he have a successful year, I think, is um, he has to make more big plays. I mean, just more of the tackles for loss. I mean, he's a tackling machine. He makes a ton of tackles. Um, but I think he has to take that next step and make tackles in the backfield. Um, the thing about Kenneth Murray, I think as the year went on, he kind of nosedive a little bit more as the year went on. Earlier, the year started, he was playing really well at the Army game, and you kind of go down the line. I mean, it was it wasn't it, it kind of nosedive a little bit. And, it's when those mistakes pile up, and it's it's impossible not to hear the chatter, you know, from right. fans, from media. Like they're human beings. Like if if I'm playing in a team sport and the unit I'm playing on is just terrible, it's going to affect how I play. So I, it's it's hard to avoid that. The thing about it is I really like the kid. He's a great student of the game. He loves the game. He plays it. He gives it all he has. I mean, he's a good leader and everything. Um, I think for him is, you know, he's he has to get out of the part of being his self being prepared. Because I think he's always a good, really good prepared kid. He knows what that, what's coming and all that stuff. He has to get that to that other point where he can call out people that make mistakes. Um, even like whenever, whenever a defensive lineman is out of position, whenever an outside linebacker is not filling a hole, whenever a guy is not holding up on the def- on the offense, an offensive lineman climbing up. He has to be able to be that guy to be like, hey, look, man, you're gonna have to hold him up a little bit so I can come in and make the tackle. I keep getting cut off or. Hey man, like you, you you talk to your buddy like, hey, where where the heck are you? You're supposed to be in that hole. You're too late. Um, so it's things like that that I can. And the thing about it was, guys that played before me, like Teddy Lehman and those guys, they would go in. I'd watch them in practice. I'd watch them in games, and they would call out plays before they even happen. Like, oh, power left. Oh, here we go. Pass. Rush the curl right here. Oh, he's looking for this route, right? I mean, he has to get to that point where he can start. He's such a student of the game where he can give guys the the jump on plays that are coming. Um, I, I could remember there were times when we played against teams like Middle Tennessee. I would call – we played against Middle Tennessee. We played against Middle Tennessee here, and I called out pretty much like every play they ran for like the whole first half. And the quarterback would just kind of look at me and be they like – They were just happy to get their paycheck. <laughs> yeah, and the quarterback would look at me, but I knew it by formation and set, and the quarterback would look at me, and I'd be like, oh, run left, run left, run left, and the quarterback would be like – downs and he would run the ball i was like man i told you man y'all need to stop running these stupid plays but i mean it's just things like that and that goes from a lot of film study just a lot of paying attention to the scouting report and all that stuff and i think he has to get to that point where he's he knows himself backwards and forwards and now he has to understand everybody else so he has to be able to play from tackle to tackle to know what's coming and also whenever the ball whenever they break into formation knowing by formation what are their favorite routes right then and there. It's top three routes when it's to my side. Three receivers over here, they're going out, curl, vertical. It's pretty much their top route. Are they going to do a flag post or something like that or a guy coming in, a guy going out, and a guy curling? Just knowing those top routes will get you 
I mean, that'll put you where you need to be because when the first guy goes out, you know either one or two things going, and it'll tell you when the second guy does something what the third guy's going to do. So it's like little things like that. I think he has to make that next gradual step, which I believe he's going to because if you look at who's coaching him, um, you look at what the way Coach Odom's going to coach him and the things he's going to be, the things he's going to give him as far as knowledge goes, he's going to be in a good good position I mean I talked to him the other day in practice I mean that's kind of one of the things I told him I was like you know I know you, you you're trying to get back on the grind but you have to take that next step that next step of playing in the NFL is being able to diagnose plays call it out and give your guys a heads up on what's coming I mean defensive linemen love it I remember we played against Nebraska and we did that same thing I mean we knew when pass was coming we'll give them green for pass red for run and whenever you give them that green call those guys are ready to rush up the field so you got to – I think as a linebacker, we one, we are the quarterbacks of the whole entire defense because we give the left calls, the right calls. We get set the D linemen where they're supposed to go. Uh, we see something up front. We alert the back end. So um, I, I think Kenneth Murray, he, if he takes the next step, if he takes that next step and trusts it throughout the year, he'll be fine all year long. How do you like the uh, depth at linebacker? Because, I mean, a lot of the fear from OU fans is um, while overall – you know, from top to bottom, depth-wise, OU's defense, talent-wise, is probably not where the coaching staff wants it to be. But you can live with the talent, probably more so. Like, they underperformed. They're much better than what People they give showed. Them, yeah. yeah, they're much better talent-wise. If you break down everybody individually, that guy is a four-star, that guy's a five-star, blah, 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 across the board. But people are still worried about the death because if a Ronnie Perkins goes down, if a Kenneth Murray goes down, there's just that worry. And I'm just from what you've been able to see at practice, like how do you feel about the depth at linebacker, especially? I mean, you you have Meade, who's uh, he's a solid linebacker. I mean, he's going to be a consistent guy. He's not going to have the explosive plays say of a, that a Murray has. You also have you also have Ryan Jones, who's another outside guy um, that can play. But you have Deshaun White, who's starting at the other outside linebacker. So he's not he's really good. He's very talented. Deshaun White's gonna I think is gonna jump off the screen at a lot of people. He'll make some plays in the backfield. That's the two inside linebackers um, that you have. So some immediate happens. You have Ryan Jones, and then you have Meade. Um, you got Levi Draper. I think he's he's showing a little bit of promise this year. I think he's coming along a little bit better. Um, you have Brian Osamwa. He's a little bit back. Uh, you have the Perkins kid out of California who's that linebacker, but he's a freshman um, so you're not going to look for too much too much from him. So, I mean, you have a little bit of depth, but I, I don't think – I think the talent drops off a little bit as well. But Ryan Jones, I think, one that can come in and help you if somebody gets hurt. Um, you can move Deshaun White over and make him play middle and let Ryan Jones play the outside. Um, and he'll be fine, I think, either way. I think Deshaun White can be a swing guy uh, in the middle. I think their depth's okay on the, on the inside at linebacker. Um, but – you talking about going down the defensive line now? Yeah, that's that's a different story. Um, I mean, I get, the hope with like linebacker, real quick though, is that they perform well, of course, exceed expectations to a degree, and then whenever if Caleb Kelly is ever able to come back, it's gonna be late, man. It's gonna be late, but like he still is a he's a talented guy. You just hope that it's a seamless. It won't. Be. He, he won't. He won't take anybody's job by that point if it's that late I in the mean, year. You got to go. I would. Rest, but it adds to the depth. Your medical redshirt. 
Yeah. I mean, as a player, I would medical redshirt. I mean, he didn't have a stellar last year. He kind of came along towards the end of the year, having to change positions and couldn't win it from uh, from Buzzy. And Buzzy was a phenomenal player. So, I mean, he didn't have a great sec, a great, what, third year? Yeah, was that was his uh, junior year. His junior year, he didn't have a great third year. Um, his sophomore year was was pretty decent. It wasn't great, but it was pretty decent. He I mean, made it, plays. Like, it was so weird because that Sugar Bowl against Auburn, he – he looked like the boss out there, just reading plays and blitzing the line of scrimmage before the snap. He just he looked like a budding star, and then for whatever reason, it's just yeah. it just hasn't clicked. His second year kind of went up and down. I mean, so if I'm that guy, I'm gonna redshirt because you can come back, especially if the defense does well. He can be the leader of the defense because if Kenneth Murray has a good year, by all means, if he he should leave. Because yeah. I don't think. When it comes from this to that, I mean, once the plateau getting higher is going to be pretty hard after that. Um, for Kenneth, for for a guy like Caleb Kelly, I would redshirt. I'm not going to add to the depth. I mean, it's going to be he's coming off an ACL injury, and I can tell you from having two of them, it's going to be the year mark whenever he feels normal. So whenever he comes back on the field, it's going to feel like he's dragging his leg. He's not going to be as he's not going to have as much burst as he would typically have because once you come off that ACL injury and they let you go full contact and you can come back, the t- your leg gets tired so much faster and you don't realize it. And then you're kind of like, oh, my gosh, I just look really bad on tape. And you start dragging that leg. So for him, I would redshirt personally. I don't think he would add anything to the depth because of I think they'll be in a steady groove as, as the year goes on. It, it's hard for you to get into rhythm mid-season or kind of towards the end of season to come in and play and think you're going to be where on the lines with everybody else. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I mean, it's fair point. But I one one more thing on the defensive. For him so, as a player, yeah. I would redshirt to come back and have a full year. And then that will make him healthy. And the NFL will see him as a healthy linebacker going all the way through because he's talented, tall, rangy. He's got run. everything you want. He yeah. had everything you want as a linebacker. Yeah. Um, and I guess one more thing on the def- um, on the defensive side of the ball um, before I get you out of here, Rufus, is I know you're a busy man, but um, defensive line, you know, you, we kind of just touched on it a few minutes ago. Like, they're thin. They have the talent. I mean, you, you go across the board, Perkins, uh, Kenneth Mann, Neville Gallimore, uh, Jalen Redmond, if he's a- able to go, if he's healthy, which, again, that's bigger than football. So, I mean, right. hopefully, you know, prayers to him and his health. But if those guys are all able to go, that is – that's an all-Big 12 – talent-wise quality defensive line, but it's it's so paper thin. And with the nagging injuries that Gallimore and Mann um, have had over their careers, it, it's hard to just kind of pencil them in for they're going to be fine the entire year and they're going to perform as such. I, I, think, I think with this year's defensive line, there's going to be some guys that may step out and you'll you'll be like, oh, okay, now that guy's really showing up. I think Fahamatu will have a better year. Um, as well on the deep, on the interior, I think as well as Overton. Overton as well, you kind of look and you don't really – he he's probably one of their more sturdier, more technical def, uh, defensive linemen because he's a wrestler. He's kinda low center of gravity. He gets, he gets in the backfield. I like Overton. I mean, also I think a young kid that will also surprise you is going to be um, – is going to be Isaiah Thomas is going to be another kid. It's long rangey kid. He can play. He has a good, nice first step. 
Uh, he plays with good pad level. I think he's going to be a guy that will give you some minutes and you'll, everybody will be like, oh, man, Isaiah Thomas is really playing really well. So he's another kid that adds some depth to their defensive line. I think he's going to play okay. Um, you got you also got Stokes as well. I mean, we were over there forgetting about Stokes, the uh, – was it NEO uh, yeah. product that's coming out there. And he plays, he plays pretty well. He has – Good pad leverage. He plays decent bat football. So you got some size that's there. Um, hopefully you can get some other guys to come along. If you can get a young guy here or there to step in and give you a little bit more reps and stuff here or there, maybe a Marcus Hicks, uh, see how he comes along. But um, the outside position is one that kind of worries me a little bit. That out that linebacker where Jalen Redmond could possibly play. Or who else can play? Um, you have the oboe position. Yeah, the oboe position. You got John Michael Terry that's playing that position. I think you got Benito that's also another kid that can play that position. Uh, Umgabwe, the kid out of Texas. I think I'm saying his name right. Uh, he's a true freshman. Yeah, to, to me it seems like if this is a year later, like if guys like Benito have been in the program just another year, I feel like the, that's the his, depth. This is his second year. I mean. Yeah, this is well, year two for him. I well, mean, he should need to be showing something in, now in, year in two. some weird scenario where those guys are just, you know, they have more a little bit more experience and the guys that are going to start are their current, you know, eligibility. I feel like OU's defensive line would be in a much better position, but it's just at such a point where the guys up top have plenty of experience and you can depend on them. And then the guys below them, they're just not there yet. So there's just that fear. I think you don't know. You don't, I don't say they're not there yet. You just don't know. I mean, Isaiah Thomas, what this is, is what, third year? Yeah. Like he's a redshirt sophomore, so you want to see something come. You want to get be able to get some plays out of a guy like Isaiah Thomas. You want to get better play out of Kenneth Mann. Uh, you hopefully Stokes can come in and give you some really good plays out of him. Also, I mean, he's a junior college guy that should come in and give you be able to play immediately for you um, as well. Famatu is one of those kids. He's he's slimmed down, so he's kind of be more of a swing guy. If you want to go faster in the middle, or if you want to put a stronger on the outside. He's another big kid that's there. And Overton is one of those guys that should be able to come in for you and give you plays if you play against a heavy stack team that's that likes that's very run heavy. He's a guy you want to put in there and maybe plug with somebody and put Neville as at a three technique and really kind of play more power defense with somebody. So they have a lot of things that they can do. And the way that Alex Grinch is playing defense and moving guys around and putting them in gaps and different things, I think – you're going to be more surprised on how many bodies they'll be able to use on the defensive side and the new faces that'll be able to show up and give you some good reps. Uh, I think those things are going to really is what I've seen out of the few practices I've seen is um, the younger guys that are stepping in and making plays on the defensive line is going to be something that people will be like, Oh, okay. I didn't even know where the heck that guy's been at. So, well, we've got, we've got, a few more weeks to uh, get your thoughts on offense, but we've been at this for about 40 minutes and I know you're busy. So um, I just wanted to ask you a few more things, but of course we'll have future. Yeah. We'll have future. I mean, times you to talk. can ask me, you can ask me whatever. I mean, I have time, but if you need, well, I mean, Hey, uh, all right. So tell me why Tanner Mordecai is going to start game. one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if Tanner Mordecai starts game one, uh, it's because he was the more consistent of the three um, of he and Jalen hurts and uh, Spencer Rattler, um, you know, Everybody everybody looks at Jalen Hurts as the guy to come here to save OU and the SEC guy possibly help OU win their first playoff game. But OU's problem never was defense. It never was offense. Defensively was their problem. Yeah. I mean, they could not stop anybody. 
Kyler Murray didn't have any problems throwing the ball against Alabama just earlier on as he kind of felt through the speed of it. And once they got once they got over the fact that Marquise Brown, Brown was, was he could not do could anything, not go, <laughs> yeah. and I can't throw the ball to him and put Rambo in, the offense opened up. Um, Baker Mayfield didn't have any problems scoring against Georgia. I mean, so we didn't have a problem with playing against other defenses. Let's not bring up old stuff now, Rufus. But I mean, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just, yeah, you know what I'm saying? You go you go down the line and you look at it. I mean, this, we didn't need that savior at the quarterback position. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> so if Mordecai ends up starting, I think it's because Mordecai could probably go through all the reads on offense and could make the plays quicker and faster than Jalen Hurts can. The thing about a Lincoln Raleigh's offense is it's timing, it's being able to go through your reads. This is not here. That's not here. This is not here. And I can go here. Um, th- that's the that's the thing that Lincoln Riley's offense. That's what made it work so smooth with Baker Mayfield. That's what made it work so smooth with Kyler Murray. When this didn't, when that wasn't here, they knew exactly where to go with the ball, and they trust the read, and they threw the ball on the line and where they needed to place the ball. So if Tanner Mordecai starts, it'll be because of that. And I think it is a real uh, – me, me personally, I believe it's a real competition. And as a player, you never go into it with that defeatist attitude of being like, oh, man, he's coming from the ACC, he's Jalen Hurts, and he's – you know, if if Tanner Mordecai came in with that attitude, then that's not the person I want at quarterback. Yeah, and you, so, don't, you don't want that in your quarterback room anyway. You want there to be some healthy competition. But, right. Um, I guess since you've been in practices and you've actually been able to see this, um, it's just something I've thought of concerning Jalen Hurts. Um, and of course, he's changed his throwing motion. He's improved as a player. But from the most part that we've been able to see him throughout his career back at Alabama, one thing that I've always noticed about him is that he has a little bit more of a, a slower throwing motion. It's more of a windup, whereas guys like Baker and Kyler, the ball's just boom, 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 boom. It's all on the wrist. It's gone. Yeah. And Lincoln Riley's offense, you know, and he's going to make a, if Jalen is the guy, he, Lincoln's not an idiot. He's going to adjust his offensive philosophy a tad to fit Jalen Hurts' strengths. Right. But Lincoln Riley's offense, a lot of it is timing. And a lot of those split-second wrist throws that Baker and Kyler could do, um, there it's, it's able to work now Jalen with a little bit more of a slower throwing motion. I'm I'm curious if Mordecai has that same problem too. Mordecai okay. is a longer throw too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He, yeah. he, he kind of winds it up a little bit as well. So yeah, uh, I, I get what you're saying. Um, like, is it going to be a problem as far as the- or if, if he's improved, like, cause again, all we've seen of Jalen in the last year has, was his coming off the bench in the sec title yeah, game. And he had two reads slant corner. You know, if this, they play the slant, we throw the corner, and that's the least likely to get it get intercepted. You put it to the outside. You had great receivers. They can go ahead and make that play. Um, but you look at what he has going on as far as I think you with a guy that has a, a, a bigger windup, he probably has to read and anticipate a little bit better than the other guys with the quick release. Whenever they see it, they zip it out there. So I don't know how that's going to play out. If he wins the job, I wonder how Lincoln Riley's going to play to that. Because if you, I mean, you look at him, he goes through his progressions a little bit, not as fast and more not methodical. As, more methodical. It's not as fast as Baker Mayfield and, and Kyler Murray, and and it's hard for you know for a guy like Lincoln Riley to do it in a spring and in a fall camp. Yeah, I mean that's that's like boom boom, and you know I think he understands. He has more of an understanding what Mordecai's strengths are whenever he's throwing the ball from going from situation and what he can progress through faster than other than other times. It's different what uh, a Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I don't. I don't think more methodical. If that's the descriptor we're going to use, I, I don't necessarily see that as. OU's offense is going to take a step back. I feel like OU's offense can be just as good, if not 
you know, better in some respects. Whoa. Well, <laughs> because like, here, I'll get to it. Um, Kyler Murray is a generational talent. Baker Mayfield ended up becoming a generational talent right. by the time he was done at OU. And we all know what he's doing in Cleveland, but a more methodical offense, I mean, sure. Maybe they won't score 60 points a game, but with Jalen, you know, having the physicality that he brings to the table, because we kind of talked about this before we went on air about last year's quarterback battle, about how Austin Kendall, um, for what everybody else thought, you know, back then, Austin Kendall and Kyle Murray, it was it was pretty close. But the pretty thing close earlier on, yeah, yeah. But the thing that separated it was, you know, Kyler's ultimate ability to make so many plays, not just with his arm, but with his his, his intellect feet. and his feet. And I'm curious, like Jalen brings that to the table, and it it can be I don't know I mean I guess it can be kind of something similar to how Texas Texas approach on offense. I don't know if he has power, power quarterback rushing because with Trey yeah. Sermon and Kennedy Brooks, you've got a you, stable. Yeah, you got your stable of power quarterbacks. But if you look at the way that Jalen Hurts run, it's not like it's quick out of there. He's fast and going to blaze you around. No, the no, no, it's not, <laughs> not like that. It's not like Kyler Murray. You know, he takes three steps and he's, you know, he's, he's somewhere between Baker and Kyler. <laughs> yeah, somewhere in between that. So it's not like it's a difficult thing to stop. I, I think he's more is going to be more of those one of those quarterbacks that's going to be able to lean forward and get you three or four more yards. He's a strong lower body half guy. So you may I don't know if I don't think Lincoln Riley wants to change his offense to put it to a running style offense. I mean, he's a he's a quarterback. He's an ex quarterback. I mean, he wants to throw the ball. I have an offensive line, and I have two running backs that are can run the ball. I mean, if you have to go with some, if I need a, a quarterback power to get a first down or something, I mean, yeah, you 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 have Jalen Hurts for it. You can do it. Get you two or three yards. Good, really good in the red zone. Different things like that. But I don't see it changing to some methodical thing. If you have to change it to a methodical thing, he's not the quarterback for you. Okay, you know that that's probably the the answer that I was kind of looking for. You know, that's. You know, to everybody that's out there saying that this isn't a quarterback battle, I mean, there there you go. If, if Jalen just simply can't, because like I said, Lincoln's going to adjust to whatever quarterback he has, but he can only go so far without changing the ultimate identity of this team. And if Jalen, his strengths ultimately change the identity of the offense, then yeah, he won't be the guy. And that kind of goes into the next part because um, the whispers are there. Uh, um, apparently Spencer Rattler has played so well that those whispers have gone outside the, uh, <laughs> the walls of the OU, uh, you know, building of se- secrecy Spencer Rattler, you know, everybody knows how talented he is coming out of high school, five-star recruit. Um, every time I've seen film on him, incredibly gifted throwing the football. I, does he, I mean, I don't know. Let, let's just entertain that thought because I know, you know, more than I do. And I know you're not going to tell me everything and share everything because you can't, but Let's entertain the thought. Spencer Rattler is the starting quarterback because because whoever starts this whoever starts the season doesn't do well. Okay. So if that is if a very Hur- good answer. If actually. Jalen Hurts get in the game, he doesn't do well, Spencer Rattler gets his shot. Yeah, that's that's definitely in the air after Clemson last year. Kelly Bryant started the year, didn't do too hot. He actually had a year prior to showcase what he could do, and then Dabo Sweeney's like, nope, Trevor Lawrence, it's your time now. Right, I mean, because, I mean, if you're looking at it right now, I think, I mean, the kid can absolutely spin the ball. I mean, he can throw it, and, I mean, it's quick release. It's not a wind-up. It's not – Yeah, it's like, it's, Ky- it's like Kyler and Baker. It's quick. It's – I mean, the ball is out and it zips out. So, um you know, if those guys, if those guys struggle uh, and the offense does not move well, 
Um, and you're looking at it to where, like, man, if I go through the lumps and bruises in these small games right now, if I'm playing against South Dakota State or whoever we play against next, and he's and I can get him calmed down and settled, I have if the offensive line is not having a lot of bad problems. I may run with the freshman. Um, but if you, I mean, I don't know, man. They have to struggle. They gonna. I think if they struggle against Houston and they give, if they let Spencer Rattler get on the field, it's over and done with. I'll agree with that because Hoover, Hoover and I agree on this. I don't think they're just going to s- play him four games and redshirt him. I, right. I so whether that means he ultimately starts or just doesn't get redshirted, I don't know. I don't know what side of the uh, spectrum you, that lies. If they struggle and they and they give him the opportunity to get a drive or two in the Houston game, say in the second half. It's over. Oh, oh man. Hey, look. <laughs> so much can change in the next few weeks. Listen, I'm telling you, if that kid, he is special. He can throw the ball. He can spin it. I think he can get in and out of the checks, all that stuff. And if he gets on the field, the way he throws the ball, the way he's in con- he's just so in control of himself and how he throws the ball. The kid can really th- – I mean, I'm, I'm saying if that kid gets on the, on the field in the second half because they're struggling and the offense can't move – he is going to make the ball. He's going to move him down the field. This season's going to be pretty fun. I can probably safely assume. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be fun, but I think you look at. But I'm saying, if Jalen Hurts goes in there and does what he's supposed to do, and he's consistent and plays good football, and he do what he's done do, his whole career, win. do what he's done his whole yeah. career and win. I mean, Lincoln Riley doesn't have to make that decision right now and make that reaction, and he can let the the young guy kind of slowly come into his own. And said it put a lot of pressure on him, but I mean, look at look at the Lawrence kid. I mean, he stepped in and was able to be successful right now. So I mean, I think it was the hair. To yeah, be honest. But it, <laughs> I don't I don't think the the quarterbacks of old like letting a guy come in from high school and play quarterback is not play as a true freshman is not out of the realm because they play so much Pascal and throw the ball so much. They're so much more polished as throwers and different things like that. That you may see him come in the game. Um, and you want to see how it goes, but the kid can absolutely—he can go. He—he's gonna be—he'll be fun to watch. If it's not this year, if it's next year, he's gonna be absolutely tons of fun to watch because he has a group of young young wide receivers that are phenomenal. I mean, Stogger from Hasselwood to Theo Weeks to Bridges—they're loaded at the wide receiver position for years to come. OU's offense ain't hurting for the next few years, that's for sure. But one more thing, Ruth, before I get get you out of here. And again, thank you so much for uh, jo- jumping on the show today and then joining the uh, podcast. Like the, we've got really good traction with just John Hoover and I. I can only imagine how great uh, the reception is going to be when we put this out and people th- people find out. Oh, Rufus is on this. Okay, I'm going to listen to this. <laughs> but um, I- I'll say I'll ask you this because like. Um, unlike my Thunder coverage where I'm not a fan and I try to do the best job that I can, you know, basically doing the John Hoover job for the Thunder, um, I'm an absolute OU fan. And I grew up one, um, when you were, when you were at, uh, OU, I was 14, 15, 16 years old. And so that was, you know, back, you know, back when you're in high school and you kind of look up to college football players, you know, like I just, I'll tell you this and I just want to get your thoughts. I still will never forgive the Pacific Northwest for what they did to us in 2006 against or- at Oregon. I was I was actually um, my dad and I we went up there with our cousins 
because uh, at the time my dad's in the Air Force and uh, we were stationed in Idaho, right. which is another story that I don't want to bring up. Um, oh, <laughs> I, man. Yeah, Sam Mays gives you enough crap about that. Um, so we go to Oregon. My cousins sit in the OU section. And my dad and I, for whatever reason, our tickets were on the 30-yard line, like 10, 15 rows up. So we were basically right in front of the onside kick that right. shouldn't have counted and ultimately went to Oregon. I'm just... I've never heard you talk about it because I've heard Sam give you crap about the friggin' Fiesta Bowl. Who cares? I've never heard you... Yeah. I don't want to say. It. I mean, because Sam never. I mean, they didn't even show up at the Cotton Bowl, so <laughs> at least we came back and showed up once he was he, getting our brains he, uh, to get out. He actually talked about that on his. <laughs> he actually talked about that on his podcast last week about how he's never seen a player like Eli Manning just dictate an entire game like that. And I'm just yeah. like, well, um, but I just basically wanted to give you the floor to bitch about the Oregon game. I mean, because I, I just want to be cathartic with it. It's really nothing to bitch about, man. You know, it's just y'all won the game. We won the game, and you can't, you can't, you can't excuse it. I mean, you don't want to excuse a bad call when you have instant replay. I mean, I think the the ball was tipped early, and we also recovered the ball. So it's just kind of you. You hate to see kids get robbed whenever they play in the games, and we felt robbed. Even though later on in that game, you had a a tip ball, and yeah, they the call pass it, interference, the pass interference on, a, on the was third, that you? Yeah, no, it was is, is that uh, Gladimer? CJ Iu oh, tipped CJ the ball. CJ Iu tipped the ball. Um, so who was it? Darren Williams hit the guy early. Because you can hit the hit the guy early because the ball was tipped, so they go back and they re- they review it. The you see the ball trajectory changes. Yeah, Dennis Dixon throws a tight spiral, and then it just all of a sudden, sudden changes, changes, changes changes into a duck. No pun intended. And it was funny. Oregon only showed that replay once because they were like, "Oh God, never mind." Yeah, <laughs> it's clearly not a pass interference. It's not a pass interference, and that's on what? That's the third down, and it's about to be fourth down. And so now they get a fresh set of downs, and Dennis Dixon goes and throws a freaking rope over the huff and touchdown. After that, you know, so it was kind of it was like all those plays happened, and we at a time, you know, in defense, we was like discouraged as all get out because it was like, damn, no matter what we do, they're about to give yeah. them that game. We got to the sideline like, yeah, like damn, bro, they just want to give them that game, yeah, man. From, There's nothing that we can do. For, you know, just as a fan, like, watching that, like, I saw Alan Patrick recover the ball, and I thought, you know, they said first down Oregon, and they're not going to show every single angled replay. And if you're watching it on TV, you obviously know OU's getting screwed like at the time. But in the stadium, I thought, okay, maybe Oregon recovered it. Allen picked it up afterwards because he's not like, I would have just thrown the ball well, at the, the official. official. Like, yeah. I have the ball, you idiot. But um, at the time, I thought like, wow, like Oregon just took it from OU. And then we walk back to the tailgate and Nebraska's playing USC that year in uh, LA. We watched that game and we're bummed in our tailgate. And it goes to halftime, and John Saunders comes on on ABC halftime and says, if you're an OU fan, don't watch this. And then Dan Fouts just rips the officiating crew, and they show every angle. And then we slowly understood how screwed we were. Yeah, that was... <laughs> was... I can only imagine what it was like as a player. As a player, you know, we get to the sideline. That's like, we came to the sideline like, damn, bro, they trying to get... We came after the pass interference thing. <laughs> we said, and it's like, CJ said, man, damn, they're trying to give them boys this game. <laughs> Yeah, and then all the conspiracy theories, like the offici- like the head official was like Mike Bellotti's best friend in high school. The Gordon Reese guy was yeah, like a- but still, man, that re- that instant play, that instant replay, you gotta you gotta give us the ball on that one. I mean, it's just it was no excuse for that one at all. Um, but man, no hard feelings towards Oregon. I mean, Oregon had nothing to do with it. I mean, and actually, I even got to sit down and and talk with Dennis Dixon that. Um, at one of the at one of the games because he works for for Jordan Brand now oh, yeah. and so we sat down and chopped it up a little bit and he's he laughed about that game as well so he's a cool he was a cool dude though 
Well, that's that's nice. That's nice that we're all able to move on from it. I'll I'll, I'll try and move on from it. Just <laughs> yeah, I more. gotta let it go, man. It had nothing to do. It had nothing to do with Oregon, man. We thumped them in the Holiday Bowl, and they had to go and cheat one to get out of there, out of Oregon. So it's all good, man. Hell yeah, it is what it is. It was fun playing in Eugene, though. I mean, you that was, was a fun environment. It was deafening on the field. Like we couldn't hear. Like for me to you, if I was talking to you, I couldn't hear. Yeah, anything. I could. I could barely hear my dad when the game was going yeah. on. But the funny thing was, is one of the coolest like images I ever have of a football game was that fourth down, and Oregon bunched up the line of scrimmage, and then Paul just handed it off to Adrian Peterson, and he just high stepped thirty yards right oh, yeah. into the OU section. He, he hit that. <laughs> he hit that safety and spun off. Yeah. See you. Yeah, and like. Oregon fans just in mass just started leaving, and it was like, oh my god, we came into town and took yeah, care of business. Yeah, here you so go, onside kick and got down. Oh crap. well, well, we'll we'll end this on a good note. Rufus, thank you so much for jumping on. I Appreciate look forward it, to man. having you on, and uh, look forward to hearing your expertise on the OU football program. It's going to be invaluable to us and to the franchise. And and uh, yeah, the franchise we need to use Rufus a little bit more because he's a pretty cool dude. He knows what he's talking about, but. Uh, <laughs> For uh, the Inside OU podcast and Mr. Rufus Alexander, this is Brady Trantham. Y'all have a good rest of your day. Listen to Brady Trantham Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. on 107.7 The Franchise and 107.9 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at Brady Does Sports. Listen to John Hoover weekdays from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. on 107.7 The Franchise and 107.9 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at John E. Hoover. Subscribe, rate, and review all the podcasts in the Franchise Podcast Network. The Sam Mays Podcast, All In, Inside OU, OKC82, and Intimate with TV's Jerry can be found in all the places you listen to your podcasts. Seriously, just subscribe. You don't even have to listen.